the preschoolers have been taught, the farm lane has been worked, and we are on our way to month six out of 11 to the country of South Africa. Welcome back to the Created for More podcast. My name is Morgan, and this time I'm joined by my squad leader, Alex. That's right. My guest is a guy for once, and I'm excited for this episode <laughs> because he has been on the world race before, and God called him back to the field, and he's been serving as one of our leaders and just offers a lot of insight and wisdom and talent and I thought he would be a great person to process everything with because well he's done this a time or two Mm -hmm. and I kind of feel like a rookie sitting across from a veteran you know (laughs) like this is the real deal or something (laughs) do you feel like a veteran Alex uh not necessarily the word I would use but (laughs) when you say it yeah it makes sense (laughs) (laughs) yeah just a little bit okay so to get us started could you explain what your role is as a squad leader yeah. Um, so my role as a squad leader is to help the squad build the culture that they learned at training camp. Mm-hmm. Um, living in community, using feedback, um, equipping them with tools for, for self-care, for um, like everything that prepares you for living in the same area as 40 people for, mm-hmm. for 11 months. Yeah. Um, that's the short answer. Okay. <laughs> I haven't really heard it described like that, so I like that answer. Um, did you get to choose which route you would go on, or did they assign you to this route? Uh, typically, you don't get to choose. Um, okay. When you up- you apply to squad lead, just like you would apply to do the race. Okay. And um, you'll just be assigned to a squad or okay. whatever the need is. But in this particular case... Um, I knew Amy previously before squad leading. Okay. And I knew that she was looking for a male squad leader. Um, and I just, I knew the Lord was asking me to squad lead. And I ended up applying and I don't know if there was like a pulling of strings or anything, but <laughs> okay. I went in wanting to like squad lead for her and I ended up, that ended up happening. Okay. So, so it worked out really well. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Um, and you leave after next month. You've yes. now spent five months with, with us. Now our other squad leader, Marissa, just left this morning. Mm-hmm. And so maybe can you talk about why you're spending another month or how that works out that like Marissa just left, but you're staying an extra month? Yeah. Um, so the, the MO for Adventures and Missions with squad leaders is that they stay for five months. Mm-hmm. Any more than that and you're you're kind of getting into some gray area. Like some people can stay longer. Um, I know of squad leaders who have stayed all 11 months. They actually tried that for a time to see if that's something they wanted to do for the whole race, but they, uh, they have the system they have in place with squad leaders leaving after five months and raising up new squad leaders to take their place has just worked really well. Mm -hmm. Um, they've gotten a lot of really positive feedback from that. And that's the, um, uh, operating procedure they've, they've kind of fallen on. Okay. Um, not to say that uh, even after they decided that, that people haven't stayed because mm-hmm. they have. Um, okay. It, for the health of the squad leader, like it just, it works out better if they stay for only five months because it's okay. just, it's a lot that you're doing. Mm-hmm. Um, not necessarily like, like in ministry with the squad, but as a squad leader, you're actually ministering to the squad on debriefs and like even outside of ministry and conversation, mm-hmm. yeah. and being a part of team times. Mm-hmm. Um, Cause it's like, you're not necessarily on a team, but you're like with a team. Mm-hmm. So it just, it's, yeah. it's different. Yeah. And uh, 
Anyway, to bring that back in, mm-hmm. uh, Marissa left after five months um, because that's just what leaders do. I uh, sent a proposal to AIM to stay for one more month to do uh, what we call ministry month, mm-hmm. which is where all the guys separate from the squad and we go to do ministry together. Mm-hmm. Um, sometimes that's within country. I've heard of other months where all the guys have gone to a completely separate country to do ministry together. Mm-hmm. Um, it just hmm. all depends on logistics and what yeah. ministries are available and mm-hmm. is it within budget to go to a different country to do ministry, just a whole lot of factors. But um, ministry month was a very impactful month for me on my first race and when I found out that it was going to be the month after I was going to leave, I was yeah. just like, what if I stayed one more month because yeah. I really want to be a part of that. Yeah. And uh, my alumni leader had a huge impact on my ministry month and okay. um, did a really good job of equipping us and like just creating a space for us to be vulnerable with each other like we can't be with women on the squad because mm-hmm. like, it's, it's just different like yeah. there are some things that we can talk about together that we can't talk about with females and it's yeah. this, vice versa women can talk about things with us that they can talk about with other women yeah um so I sent a proposal in saying, like, hey, like, I really feel like the Lord is leading me to do this. Um, gave them an outline of, like, what my plan is for the men during the month and, like, what I'm going to be teaching them, what I'm going to be equipping them with. Um, a very thorough outline of, like, budget mm-hmm. and cost. And if I needed to fundraise, this is how much I would probably need to fundraise and... Um, just giving them my heart behind it. Yeah. And I sent that in during Malaysia. Mm-hmm. Um, we, it was actually right before Christmas. Mm. Um, and like a week later, like the day after Christmas, I found out that I got approved mm. and I was just like, yes. Yeah. All right. Awesome. Yeah. Um, cause you've wanted to go to Cape town, right? For a long yes. time. Yes, and it just so happens so. that Manistry Month is happening in Cape Town. <laughs> yeah, I okay, so I found out that Manistry was going to be in Cape Town after I'd already gotten approved and I okay. got like heart palpitations. Oh, I got gosh. really excited. Like there was <laughs> I was really excited. Yeah. So that's awesome. Yeah. Which is crazy too because most of the other teams are like fifteen hours away from Cape Town. I'm super lucky. My team happens to be three hours away, and that's a place I've wanted to go. Not as badly as you probably, but, like, in recent years, I'm like, wow, if you're in South Africa, you have to go to Cape Town. So um, I'm one of the lucky ones, but I think next month is going to be really good for a lot of reasons. Um, And your world race route was all Asia, right? Which I think sounds very intriguing to me, but we won't go into that too much. But you mentioned before that it took, like, two years for you to process Mm -hmm. your race, And so, I don't know, why do you think that is? And, like, after you've done some digging and some processing, like, what was a big takeaway from that, do you think? Yeah. um, I think, well, right off the bat, the biggest thing is that I didn't know that I needed to grieve. Hmm. Um, And when I think of the word grieve, I think there's usually a connotation of, like, death or loss. Yeah. and, you know, there's the stages of grief and, mm-hmm. and, and all that. Yeah, you can find videos on that anywhere. Yeah. Um, 
But yeah, I just, I didn't know that I actually needed to do that. Um, I came into my final months knowing that I was going home, um, prepping myself to squad lead mm-hmm. um, because I had applied on the field to do it once. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I applied my month nine and then interviewed month 11. And um, I didn't find out that I wasn't going to squad lead until after I got home. Mm-hmm. Um, they sent me an email saying that, uh, you know, we like where you're at, but our answer is no right now. Mm-hmm. And um, I was devastated, but that's a whole separate part of the story. <laughs> okay. Um, but because I thought I was just so sure that I was going to squadly, like, I didn't actually prepare myself to be home. Okay. Um, And like I said, that included like grieving, like these people that I had been traveling with for 11 months. Mm-hmm. I had, we had all these experiences together. Yeah. Um, I actually have equated it in the past to soldiers during combat. Mm. Um, when they're, when they're out in any kind of like combat zone. Yeah. Like there that's an experience and there's like a bond that happens there that you don't see anywhere else just mm. because of the intensity yeah. and the um like the chaos going on around them like like they just they share that bond with nobody else. Yeah. And in a lot of ways I, I equate that to the race and that there are a lot of these extreme spiritual circumstances and situations that we share together and um, where we encounter the Holy Spirit and we have this like deep revelation. Um, and it just like, it, like it just, it bonds you, it yeah. bonds you together. And hmm. to be in, to be in that so, so completely and then to suddenly not be in it. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's, it's like losing a loved one. It's like yeah. somebody, like somebody in my life that I care about, like dying. Hmm. Um, so I came home and I just didn't know what to do with myself. Um, all these people that I lived with were gone. I was back at home where I started. Kind of felt like I came full circle. And I was like, well, what now? Yeah. Um, I just, I had no idea where to start processing anything. Um, And within the first couple weeks being home, like, I gave a presentation at my church, and I told them, like, about what happened, but it was, like, I wasn't saying anything that was even remotely close to what my my journey actually was. Yeah. Um, and I, after that, I ended up going to my PSL, my Project Searchlight, which is the, um, pretty much the month 12 of the world race where you come back and it's like, okay, you've been home for a month. How are you doing? Mm-hmm. How are you processing? Let's, let's work on that together. Here are your options. Now that you're back, that aim has, um, and they have breakouts and sessions. Like how do I put world race on a, on a resume? Um, yeah. just how to apply everything that you have done, like, and bringing that back to like the States. Um, and I went and nothing sounded good. I was just (laughs) still bitter and upset that I, they said, no, like you're, you're not ready to squad lead. And, um, a few times people have brought up this, 
uh, apprenticeship that AIM has called the Center for Global Action, uh, CGA. Mm-hmm. And I was like, no, no, that's, that's beneath me. <laughs> <laughs> a little bit of pride in that, that statement. Sure. Uh, a, a lot, a actually. <laughs> um, anyway, we got through PSL, and my alumni leader, uh, his name is Miles, he came up to me the last night of worship and was like, the Lord told me that you need to do CGA. Mm-hmm. Well, I guess I'm doing CGA. Hmm. Um, this, he just he laid his hand on me, said it, and I instantly felt peace about it. Wow. And I was like, crap. I, <laughs> I didn't want to do this, but now I feel like I really have to do this. And um, it wasn't until about, I don't know, halfway through CGA after I showed up that I realized that I actually needed to grieve my time hmm. on the field like the loss of my friends and mm-hmm. like the, the just the end of that that incredible time in my life yeah um and that was also at that point when I learned that with any with uh, any kind of journey like that however long you're gone mm-hmm. it usually takes twice that amount of time mm. um So, like, you're gone a week, it takes about two weeks to process all of it. You're gone a month, it takes two months. Mm -hmm. And, you know, 11 months, you're processing for 22 months, generally. Wow. Um, I think there are some exceptions to that. Um, I think there are some people who processed it fine within, like, six months. Mm -hmm. Um, I was not one of those people, obviously. (laughs) Um, But, yeah, I just, I, I didn't know how much I needed... I needed to feel like emotions, like the sadness that I felt, like this hole that was in me from my squad that is now dispersed and mm-hmm. they're back into living life and doing what the whatever the Lord is calling them to do. Um, and yeah, I spent a lot of time on this just this wild roller coaster of of grief. Some days I was really good. Some days I missed everyone so much, and nothing was gonna be okay unless I was back with them again Mm -hmm. um and along with all that like actually processing like what I learned from the Lord about the Lord about myself about ministry about the church about the Holy Spirit like there there was just so much encompassed in this one small little segment of life Mm -hmm. it was like how do I pick that all apart like and through CGA, I was equipped with tools to actually process everything, to start picking it apart and uh, learning what the raise actually was for me. Mm-hmm. Um, hmm. But and it just it just took a lot of time for me to actually intentionally sit down and, and do it. Yeah. You know, so, yeah. It's almost a little scary to hear that, you know, <laughs> like for me, just like being close to the middle and not having, like, I don't know, been on the other side of it yet. But... And like you said, like for everyone, it's a little different. I'm sure the rare case is that it only takes like six months to process it. I'm sure for the majority, it's probably close to two years. Mm-hmm. But and that could also look different depending on what you do right after the race and stuff. But I think on just a human level, that makes a lot of sense that it would take a lot of time. And I like what you said about that. There's just so much encompassed in 11 months and which is technically a small fragment of your life. And so how do you pick apart all of that when it's. Yeah pretty heavy stuff sometimes Mm -hmm. Hmm. for sure yeah it's like when people post on social media and when like when we write blogs Mm -hmm. like that's just a fraction of what actually happens while we're out here right 
um, what people don't see back home is the the internal struggle, like the internal work that's being done by the mm-hmm. by the Lord. Yeah. And the actual like breaking off of of sin and old habits and beliefs and and thought patterns and starting to walk in new, like everything that's new and right and let it, things that are from the Lord, like mm-hmm. walking in truth and learning your spiritual gifts and yeah. um, you know, who you are in the eyes of the Lord and how that actually empowers you in the kingdom and yeah. like what you have and what you bring to the table like matters and um, and like getting like that it's easy to say that out loud but it's it's a it's a fight right because you have some things that have been ingrained in you for so long that yeah. it like it almost becomes a part of you mm-hmm. and when that's gone you suddenly it's like what do you put in its place right um hmm. yeah yeah that makes sense and a lot of times that's even hard to put into words like whenever you say we try to at least give people back home a little picture of what it's like on the field and with an Instagram caption or whatever, an email or a text back home. And stuff like that is already hard to put into words, but especially if you are still in the process of it, like if you're still undergoing it. But um, I wanted to know this time around, even though you hold a different position, you're not just like a world racer, like you're a squad leader. And so with that comes a lot of different responsibilities and things like that. But is there something that you think you've struggled with like in these past five months? Um, I don't know, or just mm. something that you've like really walked through this time on the field. Yeah. Uh, to put it simply, people pay attention. Yeah. <laughs> um, <laughs> and to to kind of bring that to to a head, like people pay attention to, especially me being in a position of leadership now. People pay attention to what I say mm-hmm. and what I do. Um, on an entirely new level. Mm. Um, it's like as a squad leader, like I have basically signed a contract saying I'm going to uphold these values and these these guidelines that Amos put in place, mm-hmm. and my my convictions and values may not necessarily align with that, but I have committed to upholding those things, mm. um, and if I let my convictions get in the way of what I've said yes to upholding, yeah. like that's actually going to make people stumble. Mm. So I've had to set boundaries on myself hmm. and not letting my freedoms cause my brothers and sisters to sin. Yeah. Um, hmm. So like I've had to be so much more self-aware of like my actions and my words and in a way that I've really never had to like, keep in check before yeah um Hmm. and at first it feels almost like a hindrance yeah because it's like i could imagine like i have this freedom like why why should i limit myself because they don't know how to you know take care of themselves yeah it's kind of harsh that i said it out loud but (laughs) um but it's actually like loving them well by actually limiting myself Mm. like in the same way like when when god came to earth as Christ, like he limited himself to human form. Like mm-hmm. he had all this crazy cosmic power, but he chose to limit himself to, to the human experience, so mm-hmm. that he could live as we lived and walked as we walked, and mm-hmm. he could teach them how to do it and do it well. Yeah. Um, hmm. Even though he could have smited anyone, he could have. Uh, he could have. T- 
evangelize the world like into the kingdom and like everything would have been great. Yeah. But that wasn't, you know, the, the point. Mm-hmm. And bringing that back into like leadership, like being a squad leader for like a squad of people, it's like, okay, like I need to, even though I know that I have the self-control, I have the, the discipline to, to do these things, like I'm going to not do them as an example for the squad so that they can learn what good and healthy boundaries actually are. Yeah. Hmm. Yeah. I really like that comparison. <laughs> That's good. Hmm. Yeah, because whenever you're limiting yourself, even though you have the position and technically like the authority, like, I don't know, the liberty to do more things than what we can, like technically speaking, I guess, and um, have already walked through things that we are currently walking through. Mm-hmm. Um, but through you limiting yourself, I guess that brings us more freedom and brings us more insight. And yeah. um, But just like you said, like how Christ himself limited himself, even though he had all authority and all power to do whatever he wanted, but chose to humble himself and limit himself. I really like that. Yeah. Um, so now being the world race veteran that you are, <laughs> is there something you wish you would have known before you went on the race that you would either tell someone like me who is in the middle of it or you would tell maybe somebody just beginning let go of any expectation you might have any <laughs> like let go of any thought about what this thing might be because it's probably going to be not that mm-hmm. um, with a lot of the promotional material that AIM puts out there about what the race actually is like we talk a lot about like the adventure of it and yeah. that's definitely there sure but um, I can say this about the race because I've been saying about squad leading. I think it applies to both. Um, squad leading for me has been nothing that I expected, but everything that I needed. Mm. And the race was the same. It was nothing that I expected, but it was everything that I needed in that season of life. Hmm. And to put it, to sum it up in a word, like it was a catalyst. Yeah. And But in the way that it was a catalyst for me was different from everybody on my squad it was, hmm. it's different for everybody on this squad mm-hmm. just because everybody is in a different season when they come to the race and like when they go through this like some people are ready to be raised up as a squad leader some mm-hmm. people are ready to be a team leader mm-hmm. some people aren't and that's that's just life it's not because one person is better than the other yeah it's just that they're walking in a lot more freedom and discipline and they have a, an intimacy with the lord that allows them to do so yeah um, hmm. and we, we don't want to put anybody who is not in that kind of position, um, because it would probably crush them and we don't want anybody, we don't want yeah. to set anybody up to fail. Right. <laughs> like we want to see people thrive mm-hmm. and we do the best we can praying and asking the Lord, like, okay, God, who, who can we give this responsibility to? Like yeah. who's, who's ready to receive this, this particular mm-hmm. anointing or authority mm-hmm. right now and, um, but that's all that's happening in general. Sure. Stop there. <laughs> yeah. No, I like that though. That's a great reminder to not have expectations and stuff. Um, I know like I had a lot of expectations that were tossed out the window very quickly, <laughs> but like I also continued to like set new expectations like all the time. Mm-hmm. Like as we round each month, you know, I already just naturally have a new expectation for the next month, yeah. but then you just have to like kind of quickly put that aside and just come at it with an open mind, be flexible and just take whatever you're given and see what happens and just run with it. Yeah, I would even say hold it with open hands. Yeah. So that if your expectation is not met, yeah, then the Lord can just replace it with something new. Right. 
Right. Hmm. Um, I found that the race also provides just ample time for self-reflection. Oh, yeah. And I don't necessarily mean that by, like, we have a ton of free time. Mm -hmm. Sometimes we do. It just depends on what your month looks like. Travel days, things like that. But also, we're adjusting a lot. We're being put in circumstances that you might not find in the States very often. Um, All these different things, these environments that you're put in. It allows you to see how you react to certain things, how you handle stress, how you handle community living. But also within that community living, you're put on a team with a set amount of people. All squad month, you're around like 40 people. And you're like constantly getting to know each other, asking each other questions. And therefore, you like get to share new pieces of your story all the time, depending on who you're talking to. You get to share things that you that are important to you, life from back home, how you've grown. You're just like constantly talking about yourself and others. And you're like not just checking in on each other, but it's like more than that. It's like you you have like 39 other people or however many, you know, but like 30 other people who are like helping you track your growth and stuff Mm -hmm. and are just like asking you those questions and thinking about the future, but also talking about your past and like reflecting on your current situation, just constantly like thinking about things, which if you leave enough time to process that, like in real time, that Mm -hmm. helps a lot, but really just like talking and like processing with people verbally, it just, geez, you just really figure certain parts of yourself out like mm-hmm. more than you would at home if you're just like working a job or still in school and surrounded by the same community you've had for a while yeah but sometimes I wonder like having been on the world race and like for you completed it and like now rounding at your squad leading time for me being in the middle of it like when we go back home I just I get curious on like what that looks like practically mm-hmm. like whenever we engage back in like not only American culture but like the culture that we have ourselves like in our families and our friends and workspaces wherever we find ourselves I just don't know how that like translates over because no. this is a pretty rare sort of environment and yeah. so like how do you then just like take that back home I don't know if you would have any like real advice <laughs> on that but just like any ideas on what you think that's even going to look like for yourself or I don't know Yeah it's Again, I think it's one of those things that, on one hand, I think that looks just a little bit different for everyone, and on the other, the same, like, intentionality that we ask of racers on the world race Mm -hmm. is the same amount of intentionality that you're going to have to use when you go back home. Yeah. Just when you go back home, you're not going to have anybody pushing you and encouraging you to do it. Mm -hmm. Um, And for me, when I got off the field the first time, the... I was not confident in my ability to to implement that. Yeah. I had no idea how to build what we were taught to build mm-hmm. on the race. Um, and hold on. It's okay. When I think about it, like, back home, that was never, that was never normal mm-hmm. to have those kinds of conversations, to have those deep talks about ourselves, mm-hmm. to, to, to dig into those inner workings of our minds and our hearts and our souls. And when you're not with a group of like-minded people who also want to have those conversations, it's hard mm-hmm. to just start that. True. Um, and... Where to start or how to start? 
I I don't mean to say this as like any kind of like cop out, but mm-hmm. like I think that's a conversation between you and the Lord. Like mm-hmm. who like who can He highlight in your life for you to have those conversations? Like where where can you start to build this this culture that you've experienced where pretty much all you are is in process mm-hmm. and constantly reflecting and giving feedback and uh, growing at an incredible rate. Um, I've heard the race described as like a pressure cooker. <laughs> yeah. And <laughs> that like in 11 months, like a typical spiritual journey, um, on the race as compared to like five years mm-hmm. or something like that. Hmm. I don't know how they came up with that, <laughs> yeah. but that's what we're told. <laughs> okay. We'll take um, it. But, uh, but I, I believe in like the, the, the kind of environment that we're in all the time where we're constantly talking about our deepest, darkest secret and our, our sin habits and mm-hmm. like looking at the darkest part of ourselves, trying to change or, mm-hmm. um, It's it's hard to convince somebody to want to do that. Yeah, you know, hmm. um, especially if they're not interested in in going to those places. Um, but I I don't think it has to be anything elaborate or sure. over the top, or it doesn't need to be insanely profound right away. Um, it can just start with the little things. It can be it can be you just talking about what you experienced how you experience the Lord, how you experience this change and growth, like mm-hmm. the tools and things that that you've learned that help you. Mm-hmm. Um, just doling it out little by little, which all at once can look crazy and overwhelming, mm-hmm. but in little pieces, little bits to chew on, like you can slowly start to build, build something over time where that culture will start to take root and, and grow. Mm-hmm. I'm excited to know what that looks like afterwards. It's still obviously pretty early for me to be thinking yeah. about it, but it's good to be aware of and just be like, what am I learning right now that maybe I could apply in the future? Yeah. Or like, how can I steward a community back at home based on what I've learned here? Um, but in the end, it just has to happen organically and we'll just have to see like where God puts each one of us. Yeah. Actually, I have a good practical example for you. Okay. Um, between CGA and squad leading, like yeah. I was working a couple jobs and, uh, I had to learn how to serve in like small ways. Mm-hmm. And a lot of what that looked like was actually having intentional conversations with my coworkers mm-hmm. who the vast majority were not believers at all. Yeah. But just talking to them as human human beings with feelings and who have a story that is just as just as dark and messed up as anyone else's. Mm-hmm. You know, they have parents who failed them and they've made some poor choices that it, influence where they are in life right now and yeah um but just being able to love them where they're at and being able to speak truth over them in what way we can like just small small little ways like that that help change the atmosphere of a room yeah um hmm. can have some of the biggest impacts yeah um and even like, there's a starbucks that i would frequent a lot for my quiet time and just watching sermons and listening to to podcasts um there were multiple employees that I made friends with that you know, I, I had been gone for a man, an amount of time and I came back and they're like, yeah, we missed you around here. There's just something about, like something changes like when you walk in, the, huh. when you walk in here and it's like, wow. Wow. I, I mean, That's that was cool. never my intention to go in there. Right. And change anything. Sure. But just by having 
just real conversations with people like yeah it creates change yeah and I think it that's even like a testament to how rare sometimes that is to find like back in the real world like mm-hmm. for lack of a better term but like and I think the more of the world that you see the more of the states that you see the older you get the more experience you have I don't know sometimes it's just hard to find like really intentional people and like but even just the pace that America kind of goes at and runs at like just time to like sit with people but even like those quick encounters of just like asking certain questions Mm -hmm. that like allow you to get a little bit deeper than regular but without like probing and like being uncomfortable and stuff you know like just a nice balance yeah so I could see how that would be beneficial but that's really cool that you made an impact on (laughs) little Starbucks that you were just frequenting yeah um there's several other things that I want to ask you but for the sake of time I'm just gonna get kind of to this other part um and maybe even just to give like people at home a just like one of the examples of how it looks like for a world racer to interact with our squad leader, our interactions between Alex and I, um, we have had conversations that have been scattered and not super frequent, um, but nonetheless, each time super valuable in my opinion. Um, and I've never had the team of, I've never had the opportunity or the pleasure to have a team that got partnered with you at a specific ministry site. I was always with the other squad leader, Marissa. Um, but every encounter I did have with you, I think, was just always really insightful, but I also think comforting um, wow. and just, like, disarming. And we <laughs> talked at training camp once at the very beginning. I think we just discussed a variety of things. Yep. We talked in Malaysia um, on Christmas Eve <laughs> um, in the kitchen while I was baking cookies. That's right. You were eating noodles. <laughs> I remember that. And we talked about healings and yeah. then later the Enneagram. Mm-hmm. Uh, you are a nine, right? Yes, very okay. much a nine. Okay. I'm a seven. I would like to also say very much a seven, but in case people are curious. <laughs> um, and then the next time I saw you, we we fist bumped and you were like, you're like, can I hug you? And I was like, oh, yeah. And then you're like, every time I see you, you just like fist bump me. And I was like so embarrassed. I was like, well, the last time I said goodbye to you, it was like that time right after Christmas. And I think I was just like feeling things and avoiding goodbyes and just uncomfortable. And I'm pretty sure I gave you a peace sign yeah, and ran did. up the stairs. You did. So then the next time I saw you, I don't know why my first instinct was to give you a fist bump, but whatever. Yeah, um, I thought we moved past that. <laughs> Um, and then this month during our spare time in Swaziland, we sat down together and we watched the Netflix documentary that I, I think I mentioned in the last podcast, but it's about Bobby Kennedy. Sure did. Did you like that? I loved it. Did you? It was so good. (laughs) Um, I'm going to use that as a way just to slide into trivia as my little history segment, (laughs) which I never gave a name to. I was going to call it something like history around the world or American history around the world with Morgan White, Professor Morgan, (laughs) whatever. Anyways. Working title. Yeah, working title. Um, Number one, there's just five. What position did he serve in his brother's cabinet in the White House? Uh, Attorney General. Yeah. Number two, true or false, Vice President Lyndon Johnson and Bobby Kennedy did not get along. I want to say true, but it sounded like there might have been like some misunderstanding between the two of them, but I think in general they just did not like each other. Yeah, yeah. I think you're right about that. Yeah, I was thinking that is true. Um, another true or false, Bobby Kennedy was always sympathetic towards the civil rights movement. Uh, if I learned anything in that documentary, it's that it's pretty much all he cared about while he was in politics. Yeah. He was sticking up for the minority and the little guy and the, yeah. the people who didn't have a voice. Mm-hmm. I'm going to go true. Okay, when I was forming the question, I was thinking false, 
because of that part at the very beginning when he was working on that case against the communists. Ooh. And at the time, they thought that a bunch of the civil rights people were communist. Right. You know, like that they had a right to hate America. Therefore, they were conspiring against our government, <laughs> blah, blah, blah. And MLK, right. was, he com- was he a communist and all that stuff. But yes, easily, quickly in his life, he became super sympathetic towards the civil rights movement. And that's pretty much all he cared about. Um, do you remember what year Bobby Kennedy was killed? It's a very infamous year in American history. Yes, 1968. Yes. And the last question is, who else was killed that year? What notable person? Dr. King. Yeah. Martin <laughs> Luther King Jr. Okay, cool. I just had five. You did well. <laughs> awesome. Um, do you normally like learning about American history or just about history in general? Is that a topic you enjoy? It was always the easiest subject for me growing up. Okay. Um, I, I actually do love history, like learning about... Mm, Asterisk, not all of history, okay. but most history. Sure. <laughs> um, for a while, as a kid, I was kind of obsessed with like World War Two mm-hmm. and like actually any of the the old wars growing up. Wow. Um, and then that kind of moved into like ancient history, and yeah, I'm actually starting to wanting to dive into like church history. Really? But, yeah, it's always just very <laughs> interesting to me to like to learn about the way life was, you know, 50 years ago, 100 years ago, 200 years ago, and Hmm. so on. Um, Just seeing how things have changed, and Mm -hmm. I think in that same breath, also seeing how things have kind of stayed the same. Yeah. Huh. But, yeah, it was always easy for me in school, remembering names and dates, because I was actually always interested in, like, learning it okay and that's hard for most people yeah <laughs> that's like the part that they glaze over yeah. like <laughs> like the specific stuff mm-hmm. i'm not gonna lie sometimes that's me but because <laughs> i kind of like big picture and like the relational things yep. but that stuff is important nonetheless um i also recall a time this is a little random but related to history when we were um on our way back from construction in thailand mm-hmm. i'm just gonna note this because i like the story but um a couple people we were in a sung tao which is just like a taxi or whatever in thailand and a couple people asked me about the Vietnam War. Mm-hmm. And then that quickly just spiraled into a lecture in this taxi about the 1960s. Should have been taking notes. You guys, there's oh some good stuff in that. Oh, gosh. And I just remember at the end, well, everyone was, like, bombarding me with, like, comments and stuff at the end. But also being very encouraging. But you said, you were like, at one point, I looked over and you had goosebumps on your arm when you were talking. And I was like, oh, my gosh. Uh, yeah. Because I didn't recall that. You don't really notice that, I guess, in the moment. But were, that was just really funny. You were in the zone. That was, <laughs> that was a very passionate talk you were giving on that, on that song tale. It's a super valuable decade to discuss. So. <laughs> For sure. Um, yeah, I wish I could have definitely had a month with you. And I've mentioned that to other people, too, just for a variety of reasons. But... That's okay. Maybe another time. <laughs> um, but next month, you guys are just going to have the best time in Cape Town. I'm really excited for you. And you're doing sports ministry. Is that uh, right? As far as I know. Okay. That's really cool. But also just your area and the fact that you want to go there and that you get a whole other month on the field mm-hmm. to do something that was so valuable to you back on your race. I think that's really great. Um, yeah. And I'm just also really excited to see what the future holds for you back in the States. But um, do you have anything else to add before I close us out? Um. No, no pressure. I, th- I think that doesn't. I Perfect. mean, yeah, I, I guess I think back and maybe I would have, I'm remembering small details that I wish I would have said, but that's, uh, that's okay. another 
discussion for another time. For another time. I always like that phrase because <laughs> it's kind of, I don't know, it's not super specific, but it's like hopeful and just like keeps yeah. the door open. Yeah, it's like we're going to come back to the table and we'll talk about, yep. we'll talk about something, something else. Even if it's 10 years from now. Yeah. <laughs> Amen. Um, okay, well, that's all from us. But I do want to remind everyone that I'm still fundraising $1,400 to become fully funded and stay on the field till August. If you want to donate, you just have to go to morganewhite.theworldrace.org. And seriously, 10, 20 bucks, it goes a long way. It adds up fast, and I would be honored. And if you feel led, maybe drop a comment on this podcast because I recently heard that that's helpful for something. (laughs) And I don't know what that (laughs) is. But if you want to leave, even if it's a silly comment, I would like that. That'd be kind of fun. And I apologize if you heard random little things throughout the podcast. I've told you many times before, it's so hard to find a quiet spot. And that's okay. But some people have been walking by. Someone tried getting Alex's attention at one point. And he did like the little cutthroat sign or whatever. Like, uh, uh, no, not right nope, now. Not, not, don't do it. <laughs> yeah. So anyways. Um, but Alex, thank you for helping me out this week. I enjoyed it. Yeah, thank you so much. It was, uh, <laughs> it was a pleasure to cool. do this podcast with you. <laughs> um, and to everyone else, thanks for listening. I will see you next time.